fourth episode of Texas History Lessons. This is Michael here, and we're going to continue on with the first Texans. This is part two that was split off from the previous episode that had been recorded, and let's just get on with it. I think it's appropriate when dealing with the prehistory of North America and even the prehistory of humanity in general to share a quote that Pablo Martinez del Rio used to tell his classes. The story of the Indian in America must be written with soft chalk, easily erased and corrected. Now, based on National Geographic DNA research and Texas A&M DNA research, sometimes during 70 to 60,000 years ago, our ancestor humans, Homo sapiens, began spreading from Africa. We don't know what was the impetus for them to start spreading out from Africa. It could have been major climatic shifts uh, that were happening around that time. It could have been a sudden cooling in the Earth's climate driven by the onset of the one of the worst parts of the last Ice Age um, that, like I said, was from 115,000 years ago to 11,700 years ago. And it, it would have made life kind of difficult in Africa is what they theorize, and that might have pushed them into trying to find other places to live. There's some evidence in genetics that they're saying that the human population at that time had got as low as 10,000. But despite these setbacks, we bounced back, and as you see, by 55,000 years ago, large numbers of anatomically modern humans spread out rapidly across Eurasia and the rest of the Old World, eventually covering the globe. It's thought that they were replaced or absorbed most of the uh, humans that were already in different parts of the world at that time, meaning Neanderthals and different different groups that are no longer around. Now, the success of humanity depended on intelligence. We relied on our brains to learn and adapt to all the different environments of Earth. Up until this point, genes had adapted to the environment. Following this point, humans began changing the environment, adapting it to their needs. We wore fur in extreme cold. We stored water to travel the deserts. We built boats to travel on water. Homo sapiens, the people that we're talking about during this 55,000 years ago, they had culture. They had tools, clothing, ornaments, institutions, language, art, religion. They were fully human, physically and mentally on par with what we are today. Now, during the deep past, humans developed the blade technique for flaking long, sharp flaked flakes or blades of, of stone, and they began making tools to make other tools. They made spears with bone, antler, and flint heads. They used wooden-handled knives with flint blades. They developed and used projectiles like the bola, sling, spear thrower, or at ladle, and the bow and arrow. That ladle could throw a point at 76 miles per hour. They made bone and ivory bodkins, bone needles with eyes, belt fasteners, and buttons. With these tools, they could make and sew skin garments with fitted sleeves and trousers. More than likely, these first peoples that were spreading out throughout the Eurasian area probably lived in small groups. Up to 50 and 60 people, they think, maybe maximum. Men hunted, but as evidenced by modern food-gathering societies, the women not only raised the children, but also gathered probably up to twice the amount of food than the men could provide by hunting. 
The women would gather roots, berries, nuts, fruits, vegetables, insects, lizards, snakes, rodents, shellfish, and whatever else they could find around them to provide sustenance. Now, one reason it's believed that the group size would have stayed smaller is a fairly reasonable one. It's because due to the estimate that in fertile areas with mild winters, it takes a square mile to provide enough food for one or two food collectors. So these would have been nomadic hunter-gatherers moving around to find sustenance. Now, in cold climates, you need 20 or 30 square miles to feed one or two people. And that's the same estimate for tropical and desert regions. And then... Sometime in the past, it's not really possible to pinpoint an exact time. Having spread almost everywhere else, humanity made it to the Americas. It used to be unheard of to consider a very distant arrival time, but we have evidence that humans had reached Siberia about at least 40,000 years ago. The land bridge of Beringia, that when the Ice Age happened, the water of the sea was now found in these huge glaciers and sea levels dropped, like I said earlier, three to 400 feet lower than they were now. And that uncovered a land bridge that existed at different times in the past several thousand years. One source said that between 70,000 and 30,000 years ago, there was a land bridge and then 25,000 to 15,000 years ago, it was again a land bridge. And then for one last time, 14,000 to 10,000 years ago, it would have been possible to cross over on it as a land bridge. Now, each one of those is a big window of opportunity for entering the Americas. Each period of a land bridge being a good chance people could have crossed over. During the uh, last period when it could have been possible. The whole area of Beringer was almost ice-free and was 1,300 miles wide. The ice sheets had reached their maximum coverage and were 1.9 to 2.5 miles thick, and they extended all the way down to about the 45th parallel. This is when the Great Lakes and the Finger Lakes were carved and the Ohio River drainage system was shaped. And there is also an ice-free corridor along the Pacific coast 18,500 years ago to 15,000 years ago. And while researching this lesson, evidence for a pre-30,000 years crossing just grew stronger. Literally, while I was preparing to write my notes, news came across with this story that archaeologists have uncovered nearly 2,000 stone tools, ash, and other human artifacts in a high-altitude cave in Mexico, which is just another piece in the puzzle. So showing that it's highly possible somebody had come over definitely before the old time period of about 10,000 years ago. So the former prevailing scholarship taught that at the end of the last ice age, about 11,000 years ago, a race of hunters called the Clovis people crossed the land bridge and they found this beautiful, unhunted paradise, and they spread throughout North and South America, growing in numbers and wiping out the megafauna. Megafauna being the, the, the great mammoths and 
giant bison and saber-toothed tiger and all the big animals that they, they hunted. And so from the 1930s, on the insistence that it was impossible for any migration to have arrived before 13,000 years ago, 11,000 B.C., that story pretty much held power over the narrative. But this theory, it no longer holds water. To quote the historian Fernandez Armesto again, Though American archaeology is still really in its infancy and too few sites have been excavated for a complete and reliable picture to emerge, evidence of human occupation is now available in so many places, scattered from the Yukon to Uruguay and from the Bering Strait to the edge of the Beagle Channel over so long a period in so many different stratigraphic contexts with such vast cultural diversity that one conclusion is inescapable. Colonists came at different times, bringing different cultures with them. Asia and America were mutually accessible by land for long intervals of maybe 60,000 years, up to 10,000 years ago. Various groups could have crossed during one or more of those intervals. And that is largely what I'm seeing a lot of archaeologists being willing to agree upon now. Now... The farther back, the bigger number, that's 60,000 years ago. A lot of them don't want to go that far yet. A lot of There are people that do think it's possible. The more we discover actual evidence, which is what they have to have to be willing to agree with something like that, is what they need. Uh, to continue, what, uh, quote, The Americas started in the north. As far as we know, the first people penetrated from the old world, where Asia nearly joins and once did join America over that land bridge and spread southward from there. That is a fact, but as we shall see, the inferences generally drawn from it are all false. Native American mythopia has generated objections, even on allegedly factual grounds. Indigenous origin stories often include accounts of long migrations, but there are some that represent ancestors that sprung up from the earth their descendants inhabit. There is no reason to believe their accounts. The world was made by migrations. And I love that quote because it's by migrations, people moving constantly around. And as we get into the history of Texas, once we get to the part about the first native tribes that were there on contact, we're going to learn that even at that time and after that, during the whole period of early Texas history, tribes were being pushed around by each other, not even just by Europeans coming in. They're always moving around and having to migrate. Some get the upper hand. When we learn about the history of the Comanche even later on, we'll see how a small, little, tiny group gained power that had been shoved around through their deep past, and things worked out for them, and they ended up getting the upper hand and becoming one of the largest, most important tribes in the history of America. But that's I'm getting ahead of myself. I get excited when I get the closer I get to actually uh, dealing with things that are more recent, I get even more excited. So I'm so, I apologize. So these people came across and they followed corridors between walls of ice or along narrow, unglaciated shores. And a lot of people would not have, uh, have argued say this was impossible. Seaborne migrations could have brought other arrivals and continued after the submersion of the land bridge. Once the land bridge was covered back up, could have used boats to come across or follow along the coast. There's evidence of boat use along the Asian coast as far back as 48,000 years ago when humans reached Australia. That would have required an open ocean crossing. Uh, to go back to Alvin Josephi again, he, 
He adds that the people could have moved hunting through ice-free routes on the Alaskan coast, along the Yukon and other river valleys, south along the Rocky Mountains, through quarters that opened up from time to time in the glaciers, then spreading and populating the continents. So, to go back to the original quote, when you're talking about Native American history, it needs to be, especially ancient, the first peoples, it needs to be written with soft chalk. So writing this with soft chalk, I'm going to say that we can look at it that this period of 48,000 to 30,000 years ago, the first waves of migrations from Asia to the Americas began across the land bridge of Beringia and along the coast. And it was a good time for arrival. Even though it was then an ice age, the whole environment was completely different than it is now. There was abundant water. It was warming grasslands were filled with megafauna and they came across and they spread out and they filled they reached everywhere josephi writes that almost every community in canada the united states and mexico was once an indian community and those communities before the arrival of the whites were part of hundreds of unique indian nations that blanketed the entire continent they had 600 distinct languages there were kings prophets artisans architects sculptors poets and doctors there were land and water trade networks. Children growing up then, like now, could dream of accomplishing great things in medicine, sports, military service, dance, religion, diplomacy, art, and much more. They were amazing people that they crossed through living in a time when most of us could not even conceive of, and they flourished here. To quote an anthropologist, W.W. W. Newcomb, in his book, The Indians of Texas, he wrote that the modern peoples emerging from the Pleistocene Ice Age that crossed over from Asia, he called them the most formidable, vicious, and successful mammal ever to adorn the face of the world. And they were, they were that efficient and successful and hardworking and tenacious and intelligent to be able to, to thrive in the Americas. Now, one of my estimates that I go by comes from a, a Texas history college Texas history book and it puts um, the population of North and South America in that 107 to 112 million range uh, with roughly 12 million living north of the Rio Grande, 35 million between the Rio Grande and the Isthmus of Panama for a total of 47 million in North America and then South America is estimated had up to 60 million pre-Columbian inhabitants, making that number that 107 million. For perspective on this, consider that after contact with Europe, the native population declined to less than 6 million by 1650, possibly 100 million in the 1400s, and by 1650 down to 6 million. That's uh, that's a big drop. So. We get to here, we know that they crossed anywhere from 30,000 to 20,000 years ago. And then the Ice Age ends. This period of 12,900 years ago to 11,700 years ago is a, is a period called the Younger Dryas. It's the end of the Pleistocene. The Ice Age is ending, climate's beginning to change. The tundra and glaciers recede. Grasslands and prairies are growing, uh, along with hardwood forests. Arid deserts and plateaus are showing up. Ice dams burst. 
sea levels begin to rise. In Montana, 13,000 years ago, a glacier dam broke and took out half of Washington and some of Oregon and Idaho. A devastating event. Central Mexico volcanoes were erupting. A comet impact sprayed glass spherules across the northern hemisphere and splattered plant and animal remains with molten silica. This event might have changed the climate for a thousand years, some people argue, and contributed to the deaths of the megafauna. 12,830 years ago, a stellar event, something, a supernova core collapse, a giant solar flare, or the remnants of a bolide impact left a blast of high-energy photons and possibly lethal ultraviolet radiation in marine cores and tree rings. So mass extinctions began over the next 2,000 years at this time period when these things were all happening. This is all very controversial. Some people just say that the megafauna got hunted off by the man coming into the to the Americas and we just over hunted them um, other people are putting all these other environmental reasons into it it's still open to argument but what matters is starting at the end of the ice age over the next 2,000 years mass extinctions occurred and that saw the loss of the mammoth, the mastodon, the mega horse, the giant sloth, saber-toothed tiger, 35 species, up to 35 species of large animals. They use the word fauna, F-A-U-N-A, a lot in scientific texts. Um, I'm just going to say big animals, the supersized animals that uh, were lost in the Americas, gone. The reason is why is a matter of argument. So we're not going to get bogged down on that. So with the mammoths, mastodons, bison anticus, which was uh, the bison that they hunted here in Texas, would have been bison anticus. It was a much larger form of the American buffalo with longer horns, stood taller, bigger. The, the early first peoples, they started having to make changes in how they lived. Uh, this is where we start learning that diversity begins. They traveled seasonally between gathering and hunting sites in groups of 20 to 30. This led to local identity and what would lead to the tribes of the contact era of the 1490s. They began to change from being Paleo-Indians to Archaic Indians, who in turn became the tribes of today. Different groups began to identify a connection to a certain area. They would move to an environment, adapt to it, and develop different cultural and physically. They were still hunters, but they hunted much smaller prey. They had to rely on hunting deer, rabbits, turkey, geese, fish. Some did hunt elk and bison. They also supplemented their diets with seeds, nuts, fruits, and fibrous plants. They had tools, grinding stones, and the mortar and pestle. This is the time period, and this is how they were living at the end of the Ice Age. Now, think about this. A little bit of world context another a somewhat controversial site, but it's definitely an interesting one. The oldest ceremonial site in the world, Gobekli Tepe, was being constructed at the same time. We're talking about people here dealing with the die-off of the megafauna. The lesson is near its end, and we've barely even touched on the first Texans. That's okay. The purpose of this part was to get humanity from Asia to the Americas. Like I've said, this is not an area of my expertise. This is, I'm sharing things I've really, that one I believe is still in a process of changing and we're learning more all the time. 
and two, I think it's important to try to understand the different ideas that they have about this. And I've tried to do it in big brush strokes. I've tried not to bog down too much in details. I've just tried to show basically general consensus what the thoughts are on where the first peoples came from and how they got here. Okay. Archaeological sites show how well and thoroughly people spread throughout the continents. We have a site in South Carolina called the Topper Site that has dates going 16,000 to 20,000 years ago. We have sites in Mesa Verde, South America, on the coast of Chile and Patagonia, 10,000 miles from the land bridge. We have evidence of an encampment there that's 14,500 years to 14,800 years old. And below it, there's evidence of human flake stone up to 17,000 years old. And down deeper appear to be clay line pits that could be 38,000 years old. Now, everybody doesn't necessarily agree that this are 100% certain. So that's where the, the, the arguments and discussions get into. There's a Meadowcroft rock shelter uh, 14,000 BC, 16,000 years ago in southwestern Pennsylvania that has possibility of humans evidence of them living there off the coast of british columbia and Turkey island in 2017 a hearth was excavated it's 14,000 years old making it one of the oldest human settlements ever discovered in north america and it kind of gives support to the whole idea of coastal migration and then 10,000 years ago so if we're getting migration starting um one archaeologist said there's probably was like a series of migrations in that first period 30,000 years ago then migration is about 15,000 years ago and then maybe even a third migration at near the end of the last ice age so from that time period to 10,000 years ago human beings reached Tierra del Fuego the southern tip of South America we have proof that people were there then but you say Michael this is the Texas history lessons and all you're doing is talking about dates of thousands of years ago and people with stone tools and what what are you getting at well okay what about Texas okay well here's just a little bit 18,000 years ago to 13,400 years ago we have evidence of that pre-Clovis culture being in Texas. We have evidence of being people being here thousands of years ahead of the normally accepted Clovis culture time period that used to be the only thing people thought of. There's a really exciting place in Texas called the Buttermilk Creek Complex. It was discovered in 2006, and they have dates at it of 15,500 years ago. And there's a lot more sites. We're going to dig deeper into the actual prehistory of Texas. I hope I didn't lose you in this one. So I just want, let's remember a few things. Let's summarize everything down to a more coherent synthesis of what I'm trying to get at. Deep history is hard to nail down and often quite controversial. We're constantly finding out that human beings have lived in the Americas earlier than we once supposed. Somewhere beginning as early as 30 to 40,000 years ago, the first people might have crossed over. Some people still argue for earlier times. That's all well and good. I prefer not to get bogged down in the debate and take away the things we can agree on. One definite fact we can agree on is that the first peoples of the Americas were here before Egypt, Phoenicia, China, Israel, and any other nation known to history existed. Men, women, and children, tough and intelligent, followed large animals into the Americas, adapted to changing climates, and diversified into hundreds of different nations with different cultures, beliefs, and languages. 
and their descendants live on still today in this land. Amazing people. And like I said, I'm I'm uh, not an expert in anthropology and archaeology or anything like that. But to have 500 different languages seems to me, and all the diverse cultural developments in the Americas, seems to me it would take a long time for that to happen. Bearing in mind that new discoveries or techniques might alter these dates, I feel comfortable in summarizing this lesson by saying that having evolved some 2 million years ago in Africa, humans, our ancestors in mental and physical capacities equal to us now, began to spread out from that continent and by 40,000 years ago, they had reached most of the parts of the world of Europe and Asia that could be lived in. We have evidence that humans had reached Siberia by this time. Humans had even reached Australia, signifying some kind of skill at water travel. As part of these world migrations, we have to include the waves of migrations into the Americas. The land bridge of Beringia existed between 70,000 and 30,000 years ago, then again from 25,000 to 15,000 years ago, and then one last time 14,000 to 10,000 years ago, each being a big window of opportunity for entering the Americas. In successive waves through ice corridors and along the Pacific coast or even along the coast and watercraft, they moved into the Americas. This topic is still one of hot debate and controversy. What matters most for us is these in these lessons is that they came, and it appears that they came much earlier than we used to believe. Just last month in Mexico, I mentioned the stone tools were found that might be as old as 30,000 years ago. And then just this week, as I'm reporting this in August 2020 is when I'm sitting actually recording this in Texas at Buttermilk Creek. They found up to like 11 spear points that were pushing the date farther and farther back than we had ever known. The oldest spear points, I believe they said ever found, which is pretty, pretty significant. All of this sums up basically the idea that people had reached Texas by probably 18,000 years ago after crossing from Siberia 20 to 30,000 years ago. These adventures continued on and eventually reached the southern tip of South America by 10,000 years ago. I'm not interested in fighting over all the really specific dates. Um, I'm flexible. I just, like I said, I'm I'm more focused on what we can actually do, can prove. Um, I'll let the archaeologists sort it out. Uh, I'd be perfectly happy just starting out with just telling the Caddo creation story and getting on with the history of what we're more certain. Hopefully some of this information is new to you. A lot of it was very new to me. But like I tried to say earlier on in the first episode and the beginning of this one, try to just imagine. Imagine doing everything by yourself. Making everything. Being completely reliant on everybody around you to make sure that everybody survives. It's just, it's just, it's amazing. And this is one of those things I'm going to keep doing more reading on and learning more. And if I get to a point where I feel like I have something I can share, I'll do a bonus episode to add to this, but to go full circle, I'm going to go full circle back to my first comments about the history channel show alone. And I want to quote Alan Kay, one of the participants from the first season. And he said, quote, you know how you hear the expression all the time, man versus nature, man battling nature, Any man that does that is going to die. You've got to learn to work with it or it will run you over like a beer truck with no rims on a downhill slope. Nature doesn't care if you're here or not. 
if you're well or not. It just is. And you'd better understand what it is and get with the program or suffer. That's my best Alan Kay impersonation. He was a remarkable participant. I said a remarkable quote enough for me to write it down and include it. And I think that what he's summarizing there is pretty much what the first peoples would have agreed with that. Uh, incidentally, he won the first season by practicing what he preached, just like the first peoples did when they crossed over and populated the Americas. And they adapted using their intelligence and mental capability to take whatever their environment had to offer. And when we look into Texas, I want to remind you also from lesson two, I talk about how Texas is a transitional zone. We've got lots of different little micro regions in Texas. We have like very dry desert-like regions. We have wet coastal regions. We have forest regions. We have grasslands. And each one of those, we had different kinds of peoples living very different lifestyles from one another. Yet we also have evidence that they were in contact with one another. That's a, that's a little bit of a teaser for upcoming lessons. That about does it. So one more quote, and then uh, we're done for this lesson. One more quote to try and share how important the First Peoples were and why I'm so focused on all of this information. Canadian novelist Robertson Davies wrote, Extraordinary people survive under the most terrible circumstances, and they become more extraordinary because of it. That pretty much summarizes who the First Americans and the First Texans were. Extraordinary people as are their descendants. More on the first Texans in the next lesson. We're going to look at the different regions. We're going to look at actual art. I wish I had a... I might have to work on getting a little website up. I am on Twitter at Texas History L. It's at Texas History L. You can email the show, all lowercase, TexasHistoryLessons at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, Texas History Lessons, and I might be working on a... I might be uh, putting together a little website, nothing fancy, that I will just share my notes that I'm actually working from and and also some other links to some interesting uh, historical stuff. Please like the show, share the show, subscribe. It, believe me, I'm working on this. It's going to get a lot better real soon. So thank you for bearing with me through this. Like I said, this is one of the reasons I want to do it. I'm always learning. And by having to sit down and focus and put all these different things I've been picking up together into one thing to try to share with others, it helps me understand what I'm actually dealing with myself a little bit better. If you have comments, please send me an email. Send a message on Twitter. Uh, hit me up on Facebook. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to the future of what's going on here. So thank you. Adios.